Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. I'm going to invite you to uh, be seated, and uh, I'm going to dismiss the children. If they want to head out to their classrooms, they're invited to do so at this time. If they haven't already, most of them already have, so that's great. Um, Hey, we're glad that you're here today. Today we continue in our series, Who I Am, uh, a series in which we are taking a look at the life of Jacob. And uh, the reason that we're doing that is because uh, we want to be challenged and encouraged and, uh, and kind of, you know, like beg with you, if you will, to take the next step in your faith and your walk and your relationship with the Lord. And, and one of the ways we can do that is by looking at characters in the Bible who remind us a lot of ourselves. And Jacob is one such character where we look at his life and we look at the decisions that he made, we look at his family, we look at his faith, uh, we look at all of those things, and often we look at his life and we just say, you know what, that is who I am as well. And we are a lot like Jacob. If you remember the first week of our series, we jumped in and we looked at the greater context surrounding Jacob. We looked at his, his grandfather, who was Abraham, his father Isaac, his mother Rebecca. We looked at his t- twin brother Esau. We looked at the family dynamics and the relationships there, how his father liked his older brother, his twin brother Esau, and his mother you know, really liked him. And so they, they had this you know, family dysfunction there at the very beginning and, and uh, power struggles there. Esau was an outdoorsman, loved to be outside, was proficient with the bow, and uh, Jacob liked to stay close to home. We talked about the covenant that God made uh, with Abraham and Isaac, and uh, consequently Jacob. We talked about the birthright that Jacob buys from Esau, the blessing he stole from Esau when he deceived his father because of his poor eyesight. And in all of that, we learned an important thing. We learned that words matter, that words are important and they carry weight And we talked about what it means for us to use words to build up and to encourage and to to have people draw closer to the Lord because we look at what we say and it it impacts people. And then we looked at what it means for God's word to impact us. And his spoken word gives us life and meaning and purpose and direction. Last week we looked at the dream Jacob had, right? I don't know if you remember if you were here, but Jacob was on the run from his brother Esau because he stole the birthright, and then he, or because he stole the blessing, and then he used a rock for a pillow, and he dreamed of angels ascending and descending, and God came to him and spoke to him and reaffirmed the, the promise that he'd made to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac and also to Jacob. And we learned that how Jacob's response to the Lord was to, uh, to be aware of God's presence He set up a memorial, uh, a stone, as if to say something significant happened here in this place. And he renamed the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then he also responded by making a promise to God. And that's where we really saw that we are a lot like Jacob, right? Because Jacob's promise to God was, okay, God, if you do all of the things that you promised that you will do for me, then I will do what you're calling me to do. And Jacob even sweetens the deal when he says, and God, I've got a great deal for you. I tell you what, everything you give me and everything you bless me with, I'll give you back a tenth. You should really sign up for that, God, right? And so we are a lot like Jacob when it comes to our commitments and our promises to God. God, if you will, then I will. It's very conditional. And that's the way we are. And so today, we look at Jacob's story, and we pick up this story in Genesis chapter 29. And this is one of those texts that's probably at least PG-13 rated, okay? So this is one of those things where when you're just reading through it, if you have your Bible, you might kind of 
turn and look and make sure you're still in the Bible and not in the National Enquirer or something like that. This is just kind of one of those, one of those stories that, that we have in, in the Scripture. So, so keep that in mind as you grab your Bible or a blue Bible in front of you. If you open uh, the, the Bible app or if you go to the PCC app and you can click on the Sundays tab and then the, the Scripture tab and it'll take you to it. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29. In some form or fashion, I just want to encourage you to put the Scriptures uh, in your hands this morning. One of the reasons we do that is because here at PCC, our mission is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And we do that as we look at Jesus' life and we take his life as a pattern for our life. And in that, we, we prioritize being together, we hear and respond to the word of God, and we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. And that's one of the reasons we want to look at the scripture, the, the word of God, is because we want to hear it. We want to respond to it. We want to see how God is leading us in this. And as we look at this part of Jacob's story, we, have, we will have the opportunity to respond in a number of different ways, and it may affect you in different ways. So as we start thinking about Jacob's story, I have a question for you, and this is audience participation, right? Uh, first thing is just you can raise your hand or not, um, and then I'll ask you a question that I want your responses to. But the first question is this. How many of you are looking forward to celebrating Thanksgiving on Thursday? Most everyone, okay, you can put your hands up. How many are just not looking forward to Thursday? Okay, a couple of people. That's honesty right there. There you go. Um, so those of you who are looking forward to Thanksgiving, what are you looking forward to? What's one of the things you're really looking forward to? And this, just tell me. Food, family, football. Got the three F's going. What was that? That's all there is? <laughs> what was that? Weather, Florida climate. Oh, you're, I got you. I'm with you. How many are traveling? Great. Have a great trip. If you're sticking around, you're supposed to be here on Sunday. That's why I was asking. But yeah, anyway. Um, no. What, what are those things that, that you're looking forward to? The three F's, I guess that covers it. I, I'm going to land on one of those three F's, if you will. Family. Now, family is great, and family's not great, Right? If we're just being honest, time with our family is a wonderful time, and time with our family is a very difficult time. I know that's true in my family because I am there, um, right? T time with the family can be both rewarding and frustrating. It can be exciting and exhausting all at the same time. And if we step back and look at it, every family has a certain amount of dysfunction within it. I was reading a story where a guy said that he believes that his family is responsible for putting the word fun in dysfunctional, right? That's just the way he, he views his family. So far in our exploration of Jacob's life, we've seen some of this dysfunction, right? How the parents were divided and how they loved their children differently and all those different things. But today, it, in Genesis chapter 29, uh, beginning in the second half of verse 14, it seems that this dysfunction is just kicked up a notch, right? And, and this is where it really starts to get a little strange, or a lot strange, if you will. So we're going to look at this text. Genesis chapter 29, beginning in the second half of verse 14. Uh, it, hopefully you're following along in your Bible. It'll be on the screen in front of you as well. It says this, after Jacob had stayed with him, him being Laban, we'll get to that in a minute, for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Okay, time out in the text for just a second. What does that mean? 
there's a lot of debate on that. People who are a lot smarter than me completely disagree, all right? It meant some people believe that she had poor eyesight, right? And she just couldn't see, so she was always squinting and it made her have weak eyes. Other people would say that she's just not very pretty. She was weak to look at in the eyes. Does that make sense, right? Especially when compared to her, other, her, to her sister, Rachel, the very next thing. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful, right? So there you go. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And everyone said, aw, right? There you go. Then Jacob said to Laban, now let's get rid of the aw part here. Okay, thanks, Jacob. Give me my wife, my time is complete, and I want to make love to her. Well, let's be direct, shall we? So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, can we just start by saying that's really messed up, right? Let's just look and and be honest with the text. Talk about dysfunction. Now, having heard that or read that, does anyone feel better about what may happen at their family Thanksgiving this week, right? I mean, wow. Had Jerry Springer been around at this time, they would have been on his show. TMZ would have sent reporters. There would be a a Netflix miniseries being made. Something like that would be happening right now, right? There are a lot of things happening in this text that we just, we don't have the time to discuss today, like how these sister wives were also Jacob's cousins. You remember that his mother, Rebecca, and their father, Laban, were brother and sister, That's really strange to us, right? But not quite so strange at that point in history. And we're not gonna really talk about that. But there's also a lot of questions that we simply don't have the answer to. We can guess, we can look at historical context and things, but we really just don't know. For instance, we don't know how Leah and Rachel felt about Jacob. We don't. Did they like him? Did they want to marry him? Was he a good-looking guy? I mean, we can certainly hope so, but, but we don't know. Was he kind? Did he treat them well? Was Leah jealous of Rachel? We know very little, uh, if any, about how much say a woman had in the process of marriage at that time. We don't know how Leah felt about being a substitute bride. We don't know what Rachel thought about the arrangement. Having daughters myself, I have often wondered what kind of a father could do such a thing to his children, right? Did Laban talk to his wife about this plan of his? Did she think it was a good idea? And, And then... There's this elephant in the room question that we just, I just never hear talked about in church, but how did Jacob not know until the next morning? (laughs) Right? I mean, really? Uh, Really dark. 
Uh, I've heard of people having a lot to drink at their wedding, but that kind of over the top, right? Um, There's so many things that just doesn't seem quite right about this story. And the the, the dysfunction, it just, it all comes to a head here in in this account. So keep that in mind when you're with your family this week. These are just things to think about. And when the dysfunction starts to show, remember it could be worse. You could be in Jacob's family. So there are lots of things to look at at this text. And when we do, I think there are some things we can consider on how God uses things in life in order to draw us closer to himself. And I don't have all the answers for this, and, and I just want to throw these out to you and say, would you consider these things, okay? And that's what I want us to do this morning, is, is to consider how God uses these things that I'm going to suggest to draw us closer to him. The first one is this. God uses circumstances. When we look at, at Jacob's trip from Beersheba to Haran, after his dream, we really just don't know much about his trip until he arrives there in Haran. In the first 14 verses of chapter 29, if you were to read that uh, you know, quickly or just scan through it, here's what you would find. We see that Jacob just happens to arrive in the right place at this well, and he just happens to run into uh, shepherds who just happen to know Laban, and who should just happen to come along at that time is the lovely Rachel, Right? And we can either look at those things as, wow, that's great coincidence or luck, or we can see it as God using those circumstances in life to move Jacob along the path to draw him closer to himself. But it doesn't always work, does it? Circumstances don't don't always draw us closer to the Lord. It doesn't seem to work for Jacob here, at least not yet. It doesn't always work in our lives. Often we're like Jacob. We have our own agenda and we take matters into our own hands. We're, we're looking for uh, an advantage. We're trying to shape the circumstances to be favorable for ourselves. And yet what often happens in our life, as it did in the life of Jacob, God uses these circumstances in ways that we cannot imagine to draw us closer to him. Uh, my wife and I have prayed often, God, help us learn what we need to learn in this situation so that we don't have to go through this situation again. We simply have to look for God in that. And and that's not always easy, and that's not always clear, and it doesn't always make sense, but but I believe that that God uses the circumstances of our life to draw us closer to him. He he doesn't cause them, and that's a completely different conversation, but, but God can use those things to draw us closer to him. The second observation is this, that God uses consequences. God uses consequences. Uh, we, we have a, a, this saying or understanding in our family that no matter what you do, there are consequences, right? The consequences can be good. The consequences can be bad. It, it all depends on what you do. If you do right, the consequences have a better chance of being beneficial. If you do wrong, it has a better chance of being detrimental. For Jacob, uh, things went really well for him for a month after he arrived, uh, with his, his uncle Laban, right? He was working as a shepherd. His uncle seemed to like him. He'd fallen in love, right? Esau had not yet found him, so he was protected. He had the birthright. He had the blessing. He, he had everything going for him. Life was good. Jacob seemed to have gotten off scot-free from everything that he had done. But there's always consequences. Some are immediate and some are delayed. And you know that to be true because you know yourself. 
you know the examples from your own life, and, and you know the examples of the lives of, of people in your family and friends, and, and you watch the news, you know that things happen. There are consequences, both good and bad. And when it comes to our sin and in our relationship with God, and I really want you to hear me on this, okay? I want to be very clear. As we confess and ask God for forgiveness, he forgives us of our sin. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. We are his children, we are loved, we are covered in grace, and we can look forward to an eternity with him. That's the promise for those who believe in him, amen? But that does not mean that God always removes the temporal consequences from our actions. For Jacob, he becomes a servant of Laban. And this is a new experience for Jacob because in his father's house, in Isaac's house, he had plenty of resources. He had, he had servants. He, he had things that if he needed something, he could probably just get it. He, he, had he not stolen the birthright, had he not deceived his father, had he not fled for his life, he could have offered gifts to Laban. He could have secured Rachel as his bride and been on his way. But because of his actions, part of the consequences were that he had nothing and he had to work seven years for his wife. And at the end of these seven years, Jacob, whose name means, if you remember, one who grasped the heel, the supplanter, the deceiver, he himself is deceived. The one who deceived his father is deceived by his father-in-law. The blessing that was intended for the firstborn son was given to the secondborn son. And the marriage intended for the secondborn daughter was given to the firstborn daughter. Interesting, isn't it? You see, Jacob and Laban, they were a lot alike. Makes you wonder about Jacob and Laban's side of the family, doesn't it? Right? Rachel and Laban's side of the family. Now, let me get the right word. Rebecca, his mom. That's who I was looking for. Rebecca and Laban's side of the family, right? It makes you wonder what was happening there. If you keep reading the story of Jacob, you find additional occasions in which Jacob and Laban, they they deceive each other. They're just deceptive people in what they do, which leads to this third observation of how God works to try to draw us closer to him. God uses people. Clearly, God used Laban to impact Jacob's life. And while that does not excuse Laban's actions at all, there's consequences and all these things apply to him as well, God can still work through people. As one author said, it is often that kind of person God uses in the lives of his people to sandpaper off their rough edges. And here's the thing. If you stop and think about it for a second, you have that person or those people in your life, right? Those people who are rubbing up against you and kind of irritate you and those types of things and, and you wonder what they're doing. And if you don't have that person or those people in your life, the truth of the matter is that could be you. You could be that sandpaper person, right? So that's just something to think about and to consider. In your life, those, those sandpaper people, it could be your employer, it could be a coworker, it could be a teacher, a classmate, That person may or may not be a believer. It might be a friend or a neighbor. It could be a family member, one of those family members who's coming to your house this week. And can I encourage you, instead of seeing them as irritating and a pain, see them as someone, not that you have to put up with, but as someone that God is possibly using to polish off those rough edges or two in your life. Now, God can use difficult people to to draw you closer 
to him. Fourth observation, God is patient. God is patient. In Jacob's life, he he worked 14 years for room and board and for two wives, one of which he didn't even want. God was patient toward Jacob. God is willing to wait in order for people to respond to him and for the timing to be right. Consider some of the people we read about in scriptures. Joseph, Joseph spent many years in jail, in an Egyptian jail. Israel spent 400 years in slavery. Moses spent 40 years tending sheep in the desert and another 40 years in the wilderness. David spent years running from Saul. Paul spent years figuring out his faith before his ministry really began to impact the kingdom. And story after story and person after person, we see that God is patient. And God is patient with you. And God is patient with me. And God is patient with all of us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 reminds us, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a just God. Blessed are all who wait for him. 2 Peter 3.15 says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. You can be walking with the Lord and the Lord can be slow to act as we see it. You can be far from the Lord and the Lord can be slow to act as we see it. God is patient with all people. And this leads us to another observation that God gives grace. When you look at Jacob's life, if we're just seeking justice, it doesn't make a lot of sense. His story doesn't. And what that points to is that how God's grace shines through the life of Jacob. There's nothing recorded for us in this passage that indicates Jacob seeks the Lord. Even though he's facing some difficult life decisions, he never seeks God's guidance, but he's graciously led to the spot where he connects with his family to be at the right place at the right time. He commits to working seven years. He commits to marrying Rachel. He then commits another seven years of work to Laban, and he doesn't seek God's guidance at all, at least not that we can tell. And yet, God continues to pour out grace in Jacob's life. Jacob, if you read ahead in the story, you find that he had multiple sons and multiple daughters. He is well off financially. Eventually, he does return home to Cana, and all of those things are an example of God's grace manifesting itself in his life. And can I tell you that God wants to give you grace as well? You see, I believe that God wants us to see the circumstances and the consequences and the people in our life as opportunities for us to grow and to take that next step in our faith, to be reminded of his patience so that we can know that we're receiving the transforming grace that only comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants to give us grace. And in saying that, I also realize this. That doesn't make our circumstances or the consequences or the people in our life any easier to endure or to understand. It's not a magic, ooh, everything's better, right? There are things about this life and things about people and things just in general that that I simply don't understand and I find myself asking a lot of questions. Things like why a healthy 34-year-old doctor dies suddenly 
leaving a wife who's pregnant with their first child. Why one family here at PCC has endured the death of three close family members in the last four months. Why are there mass shootings? Why is there so much addiction and deception and dysfunction? Why is there hatred and racism and segregation and degrading of those who are different? Why do leaders use fear and abuse power to maintain their control? What does it say when a a huge group of people feel like their best option is to walk over 1,700 miles to another country in hope of a better life? Why are children begging for food and lacking education opportunities in places like Honduras and in Haiti and in cities all across the United States, including Trenton? Why are families struggling and marriages failing? Why is debt skyrocketing? Why is the church viewed as a place that is doling out guilt and judgment and corruption and shame instead of a place that's showing God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness? Why do we always feel exhausted and busy? Why does it feel like darkness is winning? Don't have a lot of answers for this. Which makes what I'm about to say maybe sound trite or shallow or unfulfilling. But I'm going to say it anyway. God is still God. And he can work through all of those circumstances and all of those consequences and all of those people to bring about his glory. And even though it may sound trite, it doesn't make it any less true. I have faith, and I have hope, and I trust that God is still God, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it's not fair, and and it doesn't make any sense. Because I believe that the scriptures tell us, and I've seen it as well, that, that the light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Amen? And here's the thing. We, as his children, are called to be that light. Don't miss that part of the story because we can be all excited about God. He's called us to be his light, to shine into this dark world, trusting in his word, proclaiming his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness because it's not about us. It's about him. And we focus in on him and we praise him and we give him the credit and the glory And the honor. God desires for each of us, for you, to respond to him, to to surrender to him, to discover and experience his grace and his life-changing love in your life, to, to rest in that grace, to find joy in his mercy, to find hope in his forgiveness. And that's what he offers to us. He offers you himself which is that which we have the most to be thankful for of all other things. And it's what we invite you to respond to this morning. The band's gonna come and they're going to to lead us in a song where we have the opportunity to to stand and to sing or to pray or to just worship in, in whatever way God is calling you to respond to him this morning. 
And it could be that, that you're here today and you want to respond to the Lord by receiving him as your Lord and Savior, to, to confess him and, and to make him the Lord of your life. Or maybe today's the day that you desire to be obedient in baptism or to, to ask someone to pray with you or to be a part of a church family where our, our strive, our, our focus, our desire is to just be more like him and to, to shine the light that he has given us into the world. We want to invite you to respond. In just a moment, there's going to be people over by the cross who they themselves have responded to God's call in their life. And that doesn't mean they're, they're perfect and they have it all figured out and they have all the answers, but they're more than willing and more than happy and desire to pray with you and to encourage you and to walk with you. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me and then I'm going to pray and then let's sing as we worship the Lord together as we respond to him. Father God, thank you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that's contained in it. God, we thank you that, that you work through us, and that we don't have to have all the answers to know that you love us. Father, help us to surrender to you, to walk with you, to take that next step in our faith with you. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.